0: In this episode, I discuss a fellow stuck knots experience in therapy with a therapist she connected with and a therapist she is not currently connecting with. My hope is that you get a deeper understanding of the co-regulative relationship in therapy and the importance of that in your journey of getting unstuck, if you're in therapy, that is. My name is Justin Sinceri. I am a licensed marriage and family therapist that thinks the world needs a new understanding of mental health. Welcome to Stuck Not Broken. This podcast is not therapy, nor is it intended to be a replacement for therapy. Now, I don't know this person. I'm just reading up what they sent me. I have no idea of the reality of the situation. So I'm just kind of sharing my thoughts based on what's told me. I'm I'm pretty much uh, treating this as like a uh, caricature in in a sense. Um, I'm even changing the name. I I think I changed the name. I have it here as Lizbeth. I'm pretty sure I changed that from uh, the name she gave me, which would be her real name, I believe. So this actually came from a blog comment. I do have a blog on justinlmft.com. And you can leave a comment there after you read uh, what I wrote if you feel so inspired. And this came from a blog comment. So this person, Lizbeth, she says, oh, I'm sorry. The the blog that it came from, the blog article is called Therapy Retraumatization. Therapy Retraumatization. I'll put a link to that in the description if I remember to. I tend to forget these things, but hopefully I'll remember to. So Lizbeth says, I had this amazing therapist who I felt so safe with, and I was able to really process and grieve my trauma in such a transformative way that I felt like a new person after a year of seeing her. That's awesome. That is fantastic. That's what we want, right? Lizbeth goes on to say, she was very engaging. She spoke in a prosodic way always kept eye contact and had a lo- and had a lot of reflecting to give me she was emotive and in turn that really made me feel socially engaged with her like she was really in it with me so I'll stop there that that sounds amazing and that's pretty much the experience that we want to have in therapy right someone who is warm someone who is engaging and we feel connection with so yeah therapists can create this welcoming comforting relationship. And that really is the ideal. And that's at the heart of therapy. Now, of course, not all therapists are the same. We are very much different in every possible way. And that includes our, um, yeah, our personality, but specifically our uh, capability of connection, I guess I'll put it that way. Our ability to socially engage and our ability to create a warm co-regulative environment now i'm not super social at all but when it comes to therapy i think i'm able to create that that co-regulative environment well enough to to help my clients out now a therapist who's able to provide that kind of warmth that lizbeth is describing here um, a therapist who's able to provide that kind of warmth they're probably going to be able to establish rapport faster rapport the therapeutic alliance, the relationship, is extremely important in outcomes for the client. Okay, so that's uh, that's really at the heart of therapy. If you don't have that safe, co-regulative relationship, I don't know how helpful therapy is going to be. Uh, I don't know how helpful those specific te- techniques will be that the therapist uh, utilizes as uh, you know as well. So changing therapists is okay, and it may be needed. So if you have someone that you're with that you feel safe with, awesome. But if you have someone that you're working with that you don't really feel that that rapport, that warmth, that connection, it's absolutely okay to change therapists, and it might be needed. It might be a good idea. There was a few therapists that I saw that I, I didn't have that with. Um, and I don't think you have to have this super cozy kind of feel to it. There was someone I saw... There was someone I saw, I was a guy, and he was pretty combative with me. So I didn't like him, but I benefited from him. There was enough trust there. There was enough something to where I actually really benefited from him, and he really kind of uh, put me in the spot and challenged me in a way that I needed. So he was warm enough, I, I guess, for me to be able to you know, accept his challenge. I wasn't happy about it. But obviously, he was able to make an impact on me. So having a warm, safe, co-regulative relationship is great. It really comes down to, do do you feel like you can benefit with this person? Because it can go the opposite way where they're giving you non-safety cues, danger cues even. And that could be a hindrance to the process of therapy. So for the most part, you kind of trust your gut. Um, You can intellectualize this and apply your understanding of the polyvagal theory. Um, If you have no idea what that is, go back to episode 101, listen to that, episode 101 through uh, 109, and you'll get a a deep uh, course in the polyvagal theory, a a masterclass really, an audio one. Um, If that's not enough, I have polyvagal 101 on my website. Lizbeth goes on to say, fast forward three years later, I decided to go back to therapy to just just work on some personal and family things, this time with a whole new therapist because my old one wasn't available. I'm all excited to be in therapy again because of how transformative my first experience was. And my current therapy experience has been almost the opposite. I've been seeing my current one for about six months now, and to be honest, I feel like I've had no progress in really figuring out anything about my life. And I've oftentimes left appointments feeling like they accomplished nothing for me. Now, this is not a good initial sign. Like initially, this, this may not be a great sign, but not always necessarily a terrible sign either. Like I said, there was a, a, a male therapist that I initially clashed with, but he was actually very helpful. And we only met a couple times, but he was actually very helpful. So it's not necessarily a bad sign. It really, you know, you have to, again, I think trust your gut. I think ultimately it's like, do you, do you feel like you can benefit from it with this person? Um, therapists are not always a hundred percent on you, this may come as a shock. I'm not a perfect, ther- perfect therapist. Uh, I have made mistakes. It's nothing you want to hear about. It's, it's very boring. I'll, I'm, I'm not going to bore you with, uh, with those kind of you know details. I'm sure you don't want to hear about that. Maybe someday, maybe someday I will, but there, I've made mistakes. I, I have made mistakes. Okay. And I've even had, recently I would say, a session that I completely bombed. It was not helpful, and I ended up uh, giving a refund to the, to my client because I thought, this I did not bring you my A-game whatsoever, but that's something you want to hear about. Don't worry about that. After a few sessions, though, I think you should be able to tell. I think you should be able to have, I think a few sessions in, you should be able to tell if this person is going to be helpful to you or not. You should definitely know what kind of modality they're using. You should have an idea of what kind of rapport they're offering to you, what the feel of the relationship is, and it's, it may not have to be, or may not be, this very super warm, cozy feel. Maybe it is more combative, not combative, but challenging. Usually, my clients will tell me that they want me to call them out on stuff. And so that's you know that that can totally come, but with a, with with strong rapport, like that, that can come. You can be challenging but also be, uh, you know, uh, caring about it, em- empathetic. You can be warm, but also challenging, right? After a few sh- sessions, you should definitely have a treatment goal. So you should have these things kind of laid out already. I would say in, in, within a few sessions, you should, I think, you should be able to tell, is this person a good fit for me or not? I think usually, honestly, after the first session, uh, I feel like I'm, I'm able to build rapport. It's pretty rare where I feel like after a session, I, I wasn't able to, to make some kind of connection. And at the end of the first session, actually, after after, after the end of most sessions, I ask, like, how did this go for you? What could I do better? Did I do anything that was not helpful? And I give uh, a chance to, or I ask my clients regularly for feedback. So I think that after, well, I would say a few sessions, sessions I think it's a pretty good indication of whether someone's going to be a good fit for you. Now, that's my opinion. And that's not a hard and fast rule. It's just my opinion. Lizbeth goes on to say, after reading the polyvagal theory, I learned about the nervous system states and our ability to read cues from our therapist that will put us in different states, which will affect what we're able to even process or feel. Yeah, absolutely. Something odd I noticed was that I always seemed to be so nervous before our sessions, and I never knew why. Like I was super tense and anxious. Now... This is not necessarily abnormal. Not necessarily, I I don't think. Um, I think clients will oftentimes feel a bit anxious before a session. We don't want to think about, we don't want to feel these things. So I think this, again, comes down to you being really honest with yourself. Not just Liz Beth here, but all of us. The tension that you might feel before therapy, is that because you're reluctant to work on yourself? Or is it because the relationship with that therapist is not a good fit. I think both of those could be true. Clients often tell me like I, I didn't want to show up to session, I did it any, I did it anyways, and I'm really glad that I did. because it's it's not always exciting, right? Therapy, in a sense can be warm and cozy, but it also can be quite challenging. So I don't, I don't think it's necessarily a red flag. I don't think it's necessarily bad to feel tense or anxious. You just, again, be honest with yourself. Is it more about just kind of what you're going through that day or not wanting to talk about stuff or because your relationship with the therapist is kind of at a dead end? Therapy in and of itself, it might require, kind of depending on what modality I I think the, the therapist is using, but it may require some level of introspection I think it's, well, no matter what modality, there should be some level of introspection, right? And that may be very anxiety-producing. That may require you to be brutally honest with yourself about about yourself or about uh, past events in your life, potentially, depending on the therapist and how they work. And uh, I know with EMDR and trauma-focused cognitive behavioral therapy, talking about past events in detail is kind of standard. And that could absolutely result in some anxiety, maybe some aggression, maybe some um, collapse and disconnection as well. So again, I guess the point here is just, just be honest with yourself. What's the defensive state that you feel before therapy? Is that your own stuff from that day? Is that between you and the therapist? Or is that just your own stuff and being worried about uh, therapy and what may be, what may come up in therapy? Or is it about... You and uh, the modality of therapy. By the way, uh, Lizbeth here did mention uh, polyvagal theory, and you know by now that I, I love the polyvagal theory. And like I mentioned before, I have a course called Polyvagal 101. Now it's a pre recorded course. It's just, you know, I think it's like five modules ish, five lessons, really the essentials, the bare bones essentials of the polyvagal theory in very easy to understand terms. This stuff is very academic. A lot of people comment on it, and it just seems like it kind of gets convoluted with other "quote unquote" trauma-informed uh, floating pieces of information out there. So, what I do in Polyvagal One Hundred and One is very much uh, to the to the to the book to the T. It's based on primary sources of the Polyvagal Theory, something I've been obsessed with and spent a lot of time on. Uh, so, Polyvagal One Hundred and One teaches you about the Polyvagal Theory and very easy to understand concepts. And there are it's uh, more interactive, especially with my live webinar version. So go to justinlmft.com And you can find out the next time I'm doing that. uh, The live webinars feature pictures and video and uh, q&a live polling, it's it's a lot more interactive, it's a lot of fun. And I may have one coming up pretty soon. So check JustinLMFT.com for the next live version three hours of the polyvagal theory in a way that actually makes sense, that actually makes sense and you can easily apply to your life and how that how the polyvagal theory connects to uh, trauma, understanding what trauma is in a very clear, very simple terms. Lizbeth goes on to say, I was never nervous in therapy my first time around. My current therapist feels sort of like a blank slate. She often does not offer very much reflection back to me when I talk and sometimes I feel the entire session I was the only one talking and she may have said like four sentences total. Ooh, she also does not speak very prosodically and oftentimes looks sort of glossy eyed. Like I can't tell if she's really engaged when I'm talking. This would make my anxiety go way up in session. And I felt like I was grasping at straws waiting for her to give me something helpful. Yeah. that, That blank slate stuff. I don't think it really works for everybody. It's not really a a therapist I would be interested in meeting with. I, I don't think I would care for the the blank slate style. I think you need a really high level of tolerance for there. There is anxiety that that surfaces. There is some anxiety that surfaces when when it comes to the blank slate, and I, I I'm kind of wondering if, if the if the point of the blank slate is to have that uh that anxiety surface that discomfort. And then for the client to kind of fill in the space. I think that's kind of the idea. It's not for everyone. I personally would not be interested in, in doing that. Um, I'm looking for, I like the co-regulative aspect of, of therapy or of, of working with the coach. I worked with the coach as well. I like that. And that's something that I needed. So it's not for everybody. The, the blank slate thing is not for everybody. And that's really where the therapist, like she describes, is quiet no facial affect, really very kind of a neutral presentation. I know that's, I think that's, uh, I remember being trained um, in therapy school and the blank slate thing was, was. Uh, that's kind of how I remember being taught. I don't know about now, I'm actually really curious if you're a, um, a therapy teacher, a therapy school teacher, is this how uh, things are being taught now or or not? Reach out to me, uh, justinlmft at gmail.com, I would love to hear from you. Now the the purpose of the blank slate, I think, yeah, is to get, again to raise anxiety and to provoke that introspection, provoke that client to fill in the, the uh, silence really, and maybe to have uh, some honest catharsis, some letting go of stuff, some some relief. Maybe maybe that's the idea there, to relieve the anxiety by, by filling up the space and and just saying stuff, I guess. But in the and I think there can, I think there can be some utility there. I think that. Allowing some silence for the client to just kind of sit with whatever they're going through is, is definitely useful, uh, but it's not for everybody. And even and maybe especially initially there, during the rapport building before the client knows you and, and has felt you out and whatnot, uh, before we can allow more of that silence, maybe it is important initially to have more of a back and forth and more warmth and more co-regulation happening. The blank slate does not provide cues of safety. There's there's no co-regulation. There. There's no facial affect. There's no vocal prosody. There's no you know eyebrow movement to to show emotion. There's no upper cheek movement. There's no eye crinkles. There's no squints. No smiles. So that that blank slate is really the opposite of co-regulation. And we know that with co-regulation, there's it's it's that those uh those cues of safety those unconscious cues of safety that we send to our clients that are so helpful. So that biological connection, that bio-behavioral connection is missing, which means that the safety state from the therapist is, even if it's there, it's not being shown, it's not being shared. The, the therapist is not giving cues of safety to help their client calm their nervous system. That, that's what co-regulation is. So that uh, intended catharsis, that may not happen. And it may end up leaving that client just kind of exposed to their uh, traumatic memories or feelings or just that anxiety that surfaces with no relief. It might just kind of linger and there's no uh, discharge. There's no ladder climbing. There's no accessing of the safety state. They're just kind of, you know, accessing the defensive state, maybe maybe even um, consciously. Maybe they're aware of it. Maybe they feel it and they lack the capacity to feel it mindfully, to describe it and to share it. Uh, Because the safety state's not, you have to have the safety state active in order to feel the more uh, defensive kind of stuff. So the blank slate then, instead of being of of help, I think for a lot of clients, it's actually going to be detrimental. It might be reinforcing. If you have a client that can access their safety state, that can do self-regulation then the blank slate maybe that maybe that's more helpful they can fill in the space they can utilize their their own introspection and capacity for stillness to be safe and immobile and to look inward and to share and that the therapist can act as um what's the word the therapist can kind of act as a uh just someone they're bouncing ideas off of or they're, or they're gaining insight through, they're, they're, you know, they're, they're working on building insight together, maybe something like that. But I, I think that for the majority of clients, especially the ones who have more dysregulation, which is, I mean, that's kind of why you go to therapy, right? Uh, that, that blank slate stuff might be reinforcing of the stuck defensive state. The point of therapy, I, I don't think, is to induce anxious catharsis. I think the point of therapy is to help our clients to build self-regulation. But this is done through co-regulation. Self-regulation is not something we're born with. And many of our clients, I know many of mine, did not get healthy or did not get co-regulation. They didn't get healthy attachment uh, when they were younger. So their capacity to self-regulate is just lower. Um, And they kind of need to experience co-regulation. They need to experience a healthy relationship healthy boundaries. And therapy can provide all those things. And from there that's uh, kind of the foundation I think for the client eventually to be able to build self-regulation. And then once they have enough self-regulation then maybe that blank slate stuff can be more of help, maybe letting them sit in silence with their feelings that that can be of help maybe. I'm I'm fairly active. I definitely will allow some silence when needed. There's a couple of clients where I've flat out said, Hey, we're going to sit in silence and I'll tell them, we're going to, I want you to just feel what you're, you know, what's going on inside of you. And I'm going to give you 10 seconds of silence and I give it a, a finite amount of time. And then what I may do is to stretch that out to 15 seconds or 20 seconds, not really much longer than that, but I want them to feel it instead of talking, 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 I want them to actually feel what's happening inside of them. And so I ask them just like, just stop. I'm going to give you 10 seconds of silence. And the point is, I want you to feel what's, what's happening within you instead of trying to explain it. I want you just to feel it. And that's only if I think they can handle that. All right, Lizbeth goes on to say, I wanted to feel connected to her, her therapist. It was hard to explain this feeling because I kept telling myself that she was a good therapist because sometimes she'd say all the right things, but I didn't feel like she was engaged with me, question mark. It was hard to grasp why I felt so weird in our sessions. After reading the political theory, I feel like it's because of the nervous system state she provoked me to enter. I would often feel embarrassed telling traumatizing stories or like I was being a burden. It's taken me a whole lot of sessions to realize that I don't think she guides me to a safe state, and that's why I feel like I've made no progress in our sessions, even after six months in capital, six months of seeing her. Sometimes our sessions feel like I'm just filling her in on my life. And it's like talking to a wall. I keep waiting to feel something, but it never happens. Yeah, that's uh, Elizabeth. I'm sorry to hear that. Um, I want to empower all of my fellow stuck knots here listening to you listening uh, to empower yourself and to reframe, to reframe what's happening. So instead of, well, actually, first off, let me validate the, the, this whole sentiment here. I wanna absolutely validate, yeah, I, I could see why somebody would feel uh, uncomfortable and, and then start to assume things like being a burden and whatnot, okay? And we know story follows state. So when we feel uncomfortable, when we feel more defensive states that our mind is gonna come up with reasons why, that might be the case, and it probably is going to have a lot to do with uh, the themes that were present for us growing up. I, more, Not just growing up, but just you know throughout our life. But um, more often than not, I, I would argue it has a lot to do with the themes of what we were taught growing up. So when we feel that our stuck defensive states, our mind is going to create a reason, it's going to create an explanation. And that explanation probably is going to have a lot to do with um, larger themes in your life. But I want you to, fellow Stockton, I want you to empower yourself. I want you to reframe. So instead of saying, my therapist causes me this feeling, I want you to say, or I invite you to to reframe it and say, my system feels this way when I am around this person. When we When we blame other people for our feelings, it gives them a lot of power over us. Now, of course, some people are, are, are deserving of blame. That's, that's fine. In general, in general, I would invite you to not give other people that power over your feelings. Of course, we have feelings based on what's happening around us. I know, I get it. But in this case, in cases like this, instead of my therapist causes me this feeling, say my system feels this way when I am around this person. So that that invites more of a mindful viewing or witnessing of what's happening rather than being the victim of, of how someone's making you feel. And again, yes, I know. I get it. Some people deserve blame. I get it. In situations like this, that may not be the case. It may not be like that. Instead of saying my therapist is causing me to feel whatever it is, you can say I shift my body shifts to an anxious flight state when I'm around my therapist. You could say that I, my body shifts to a defensive state and then my mind comes up with this explanation around that has something to do with being a burden or no one likes me or I'm not worth working on or what, you know whatever stories we come up with, I'm just making stuff up. So I, I shift to the state when I'm around this person and I, I don't, there's no blame in there. It's just, it's a statement of fact and it, it's witnessing, it's noticing how you feel as a witness to your to your nervous system state. Now, so again, like for the most part, uh, I would encourage you and invite you to not blame others for your feelings, but rather recognize how you feel around others. And then that might hopefully empower you to, to then uh, make a decision about what you want to do about that. If you're in the position of a, of a victim, if you're in the position of, this person's causing this, there's not a whole lot of hope there. But when you can objectively say, I feel this way around this person, I think there's more space there for you to say, well, what do I want to do about that? My system feels this way. So now what can you do about that? What options do you have in front of you? I think it's, it's a small reframe, but I, I would encourage all of you to do that. Not just about therapists, but you know, people in your life. But rather than saying my parents make me feel this way, you could say, you know, I notice that when I'm around my parents, I, I get really anxious. I, I go into more of a flight state. When you say my parents make me feel pissed off, like, okay, that just feels like it's up for debate. Or it feels like you're blaming and then they're going to blame you back and then it just kind of goes on forever. But when you say truthfully, no, I, I feel more aggressive when I'm around my parents. I feel more aggressive when I'm with this family, family member. I, I would hope that would, I would open up some capacity for, for noticing and for maybe curiosity. But I would also hope that you could then ask yourself, okay, well, how much time do I wanna spend around this person? How much time do I, do I want my nervous system to be in the presence of this other person? And I, th- I think there's more. I think there's more of a capacity to to make a objective decision there, versus being stuck in a a blame cycle. And maybe especially when it comes to a, a professional r- relationship like this, where where we say, maybe you know, when I, when I hire this plumber, I get really anxious when they come into my house. That's a lot different than this plumber makes me feel anxious. It's very similar, but I think that there's a difference there. Instead of being a victim, you're, you're noticing it. And you could say, the next time I want to hire a plumber, why would I hire the person that I feel some flight energy around? Same thing for therapists. Lizbeth wraps it up and says, in conclusion, I'm probably going to stop seeing her soon. But I myself know that truly powerful therapy is totally possible with the right person. I just thought I'd share my story about therapy and how even a totally regular and seemingly normal therapist can completely change a client's effectiveness in session. Thank you, Elizabeth, for, for doing so. I appreciate that. I do appreciate it because I spend time on the podcast here talking about bad therapy or bad therapists, things that are egregiously bad, right? But the reality is that uh, most of what's not helpful in therapy is just kind of like status quo therapy. It's you know things that we were trained on to focus more on techniques and the anxiety around getting techniques right and modalities and following frickin manuals versus uh, building rapport with the clients and uh, self-regulation first, you know, and then co-regulation from that. And I think that's probably a a big issue and something I'm monitoring within myself constantly as a therapist is how self-regulated am I? And I know that the less self-regulated I am, the less effective I am as a therapist. And when I'm really self-regulated and really in my safety state, I'm a a much more effective therapist. For the most part, then, what is, I I would say probably what's not helpful in therapy is not these like big, unethical, unlawful, therapeutic, not, well, actually non-therapeutic, um, things that therapists do, it's probably just the stuff that we get you know, swept up in as far as our own anxieties or doing things like the blank slate when it's not appropriate, or maybe it just helps us feel better in session. Yeah, Lizbeth, thank you for, for bringing that up. That's super helpful. I think it's a great point and I would encourage each and every single one of my fellow stuck knots and, and to you, dear listener, uh, to reflect on the people in your life, including us therapists and say, how does my nervous system feel around this person? And then I think the follow-up question could be, okay, well, how much time do I want to give them? And for a professional relationship, like with a therapist, uh, do I want to give them any more at all? Or do I want to try and see how I feel around, uh, somebody else who, who might be able to, to provide the same service and possibly even more effectively. Once again, I have uh, Polyvagal 101 on my website, justinlmft.com, and I may have an upcoming Polyvagal 101 webinar, so please check that out. The The live version is really like this webinar experience that I really want to make it something that is more experiential and not as um, coursey, lectury, you know what I mean? But otherwise, fellow now, I hope you've learned something new to help you in your process of getting unstuck or in your I guess, well, as far as therapy goes in your process of getting unstuck. unstuck. Uh, If so, head on over to justinlmft.com for polyvagal 101. And I have a whole bunch of other resources there as well uh, for free, including PDFs, uh, ebook, blog articles, YouTube videos, and just a whole bunch of stuff. Bye. This and other content I create is not therapy, not intended to be therapy or be a replacement for therapy. Nothing in this creates or indicates a therapeutic relationship. Please consult with your therapist or seek for one in your area if you're experiencing mental health symptoms. Nothing should be understood to be specific life advice. It is for educational and entertainment purposes only.